Praise God, everyone. My name is Carol Fagan, and I'll be reading from Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declare the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you to exile. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? It's nice to be back. I've, uh, I love the sanctuary. It came out beautiful. Last time I was here, we were out in the tabernacle. You remember that? You knew I was going to say it too, didn't you? Some of you are already smiling. I called that the tabernacle. And before that, I was thinking on the way up, do you remember 2020? Does anybody remember that year? There was some stuff that went on that year. Uh, do you remember when we were breaking ground and we met in cars out there? Do you guys remember that? And Pastor Dave's preaching through our radios. Our car batteries are dying. You know, not that he preached too long. It's just the car batteries died. And uh, we we're honking to say amen. Do you guys remember that? Good times. Man, uh, glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Uh, that's kind of the theme of the message this morning is, you know, we end up in places God has planned for us, but oftentimes in unexpected ways, don't we? God takes us through these, these roads and on these journeys, and sometimes it feels like we're lost, like we're exiles, like, like we don't know what's going on. But as the ter- sermon title says, uh, God has a plan. God has a plan for us. That's what we'll talk about today. Uh, you probably recognize verse 11 in that passage. It's a core verse. It, the NIV translation is probably the most popular. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you'll see that verse on, on coffee mugs. You know, you're, you're not a true Christian, I think, until you've taken a picture of the coffee mug with that verse in your Bible open and put it on Instagram. Uh, but you see it on T-shirts. You see it with pictures of sunrises and sunsets. Uh, it's a very popular verse and an excellent verse. Uh, and, and in the context in which it's set, it's an even more profound statement God's making. And so we're going to look at the context today. We'll look at kind of the bad news of Israel's life. We'll look at our lives and we'll look at what God is doing uh, through Christ and, and for us. So first, the context. And the context of this verse, like I said, is bad news. And the bad news is that Israel, in context here, is going through some very dark times. They're in dark times. And, and they have three parts to this, of course. They have a very dark past. I don't know if anybody here can relate to having a dark past. Maybe skeletons in the closet you hope will stay there. Maybe sins that have gotten you into a place of exile, so to speak. Israel's in a dark, dark times, has a dark past. Uh, and we see that really if we back up to verse 4. And if you look at verse 4, God says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. You can underline that, Lord of hosts. To all of the, you can underline, exiles whom I have sent into exile, is what God says. And when God uses that name, the Lord of hosts, the Hebrew there is, is Yahweh Sebeot. 
It's like the commander God, or since we all know the Navy's better than any other branch of the military, it's like Admiral God speaking now, right? We have any Navy veterans in the audience? Both of us? Good. It really is the best branch if you're thinking about going in. We do everything everybody else does, but we do it better. Um, but Admiral God is speaking is what's going on here. When I was in college, I was at a, a military school and, and, and believe it or not, got myself in trouble one time to the point where the three-star admiral was going to see me. And, and it was just boys being boys. I just got caught with the hot potato, so to speak. Uh, but I had to sit in this office, which is decked out with flags and stars and stripes. And, you know, you feel like George Washington is breathing down your neck. And, you know, I'm 19 years old, shaking like a leaf on a tree. And, and this captain comes out and says the admiral would like to talk to you. Like, and I know I'm not getting cookies and coffee, right? This is, gonna, this is not going to go well for me. Uh, and that's kind of what God is doing here when he addresses Israel. The admiral God would like to speak to Israel. And that Yahweh Sabiot, one commentator says, it's the title that emphasizes God's rule over every other power in both the material and spiritual universe. When Scripture speaks of God as, as the commander or admiral of the host of heaven, it's speaking of his rule over the sun, moon, and stars, his rule over angelic and demonic beings, his rule over human beings, his rule over all creation. He is the God who is so magnificent that all creation serves his purposes. Yahweh Sabaoth is how he refers to himself when he afflicts Egypt with the ten plagues in Exodus 8 through 10. Yahweh Sabaoth is the one who parts the Red Sea and then crushes the Egyptian army as they chase the Israelites. He's the one that vanquishes the enemy with thunder in 1 Samuel 7. He's the one who stops the mouths of the lions in Daniel 6. That's Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander, Admiral God. And he's the one using this title to introduce himself to Israel. And that's because they've got a dark past. They've been a very sinful people. They've turned their backs on God over and over again and worshipped other gods and gotten themselves where they're in a place where they need some divine discipline. So Israel has a, a dark past. Secondly, bad news number two, Israel is in a dark place. They have a dark past they're in a dark place. Verse 4 again, God says, These are the exiles whom he has sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Babylon in this day is a very dark place to live, especially as a Jew. Spiritually, the, the Babylonians formally worshipped a god called Marduk, but in reality, the kings would often declare themselves to be a, a deity, and they would force the people to worship them. And so we read of the the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar makes in Daniel 3 and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to it and being thrown into the fiery furnace. We read in, in Daniel 6 that Daniel's in trouble for praying not to King Darius, as the command says, but to the Lord of hosts, to the God of Israel. That's what gets him put in the lion's den. And Babylon's a, a spiritually dark place. Politically, they are brutal people. They are lobbying and jockeying to be in positions of power, and then they often silence their critics, if you can imagine that. They blind people who disagree with them 
saying, if you can't see things from my perspective, then you must be blind already. We're just doing you a favor. If you, if you speak out against the ruling party, they would literally rip your lips off. Right? Like getting banned on Twitter is nothing compared to what they're doing in Babylon. They're ripping the lips off of people who speak out against them politically. And then socially, socially, of course, there are a money-loving, womanizing, backbiting people who, of course, look down on the Jews and the Jews' entire way of life. And so to live there as a Jew would mean that you would be daily under this pressure to conform to society, to conform to the politics, to, to worship the king as a god, to, to dress and speak and do everything the way the Babylonians do things. And that daily pressure is, is to be in a dark place. So they have a dark past, and they're in a dark place. And then number three, the third piece of bad news, they are surrounded by preachers of darkness. Preachers of darkness are saying things like in, in verse 8, God says, Do not let your prophets and your diviners, that's their ancient preachers who are among you, do not let them deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And what's going on here is we know from Jeremiah 27 that their, their false preachers are saying things like, don't worry, you're only going to be here for two years, while God's saying it's actually going to be 70 years. They're saying, don't worry, you'll never have to serve the king here, while God's saying, you are going to have to serve the king here. Their, their preachers are preaching messages of physical and, and mental comfort instead of speaking, preaching spiritual, uncomfortable truths. And the results were that nobody was coming to grips with the, the sins of their past. If we don't come to grips with the sins of our past, we can never know the forgiving, gracious love of God in our present. Now, you're very fortunate here, right? You have wonderful preachers. You really do. I've, I've been in uh, countless meetings. Like when Pastor Dave says, put your prayer request down, we take that seriously, we pray for it. He's, he's being 100% honest. They sit in that room and they pray for you and they love you. They preach uncomfortable spiritual truths. I've heard all your pastors stand up here and preach things that aren't really aren't all that fun to stand in front of people and say. But because they love you, they give you good spiritual truth. And they want to see you flourish, not just mentally or physically, but spiritually. Israel doesn't have that where they're at. They have people that are lying to them. Saying God says everything's going to be all right, just a couple years, no big deal. So they're in a dark place with a dark past, surrounded by preachers of darkness. Bad news for Israel, right? I think we could probably relate. Because all of us at times, like the Israelites, we often find ourselves in dark times, don't we? We all have a past, right? We all have something that we, we kind of hope will stay where it's at and not come crawling into the present day. Right? That's why cancel culture is brutal, because we pretend like we found something bad about someone and they're the only one, and so we rip them to shreds, when in reality we all have something in our past that we hope, please, will that just stay there? Will it stay hidden? Will it stay buried? And by God's grace, it is taken care of and buried for good with Christ. But we have it still, and we feel it, and we carry it around, don't we? Presently, Babylon is all around us, isn't it? 
politically, we live in a time where we're arguing about whether or not you should be allowed to kill a baby. That's dark politics. Socially, we live in a, a time where, where we have largely accepted within the greater society fluctuating gender identity, sex education, and elementary schools, and, and the destruction of the biblical foundations of marriage. We've departed from the truths, the biblical truths that all people are created equal from every tribe, tongue, and nation in the image of God. That, that there is man and there is woman, and that the two are to be united and blessed by God with children who are to, to be protected and brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It might not always be this way, but when it's not this, it'll be something else because we live in dark times. And some of us, we get up day after day and we go to work. That can be a dark place too, can't it? We can go into this, this soul-crushing, time-consuming, overly demanding environment day after day, week after week, month after month, where we're, we're asked to do too much and we're paid too little. It can be a dark place we go to. In fact, in his introduction to a book called Working, this author, his name's Studs Terkel. It's like the greatest name for any author ever. Studs Terkel, he writes a book on, on working. Here's what he says in the introduction. This book, being about work, is by its very nature about violence. Violence to the spirit as well as to the body. Work is about ulcers and accidents. Shouting matches, fist fights, nervous breakdowns. And becoming the type of person who comes home to kick the dog around. In short, this book, being about work, is about daily humiliations and the triumph of surviving the work week all for the pleasure of a 48-hour weekend. I think he hits the nail on the head there, doesn't he? For some of us, we, we go to this, this grind daily in its dark place, or we go interact with a dark society, or we get drawn into dark politics, and, and we look around and we can feel helpless. We can feel like exiles who have been sent from this wonderful place where God is into these dark places that he calls us to. We, like the Israelites, can be in dark times. That's all the bad news. That's the heavy stuff. There's, there's good news, right? I'd be a bad preacher if I just walked away right now. Can you imagine? Just have a nice Sunday, everybody. Uh, <laughs> there's good news. Three parts of the good news. Good news, number one, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. You say, how do you know God has a plan for me? You're still here, right? If you're still here... God has you here for a reason. That reason's his plan for you. You say, but you don't, you don't know my past. Well, God does. I don't need to know your past. God does, and he's still with you, just like he knew all about Israel's past, and he's still with them. You say, you don't know the sort of scenario I'm in right now, Pastor. You don't know the, the dark place I'm in or the dark places that I get called to go into day after day. But, but God knows, and friends, God does his best work in our darkest places. And God has a plan for you. And often our greatest lessons in faith will be learned in the dark. Because even though we're in the dark, God's with us and he has the thing we don't have. He has sight. He has vision. Have you ever seen a blind person with a seeing eye dog? Right? And they can't see where they're going, but the dog can, right? 
And so they, they come to an intersection or something, and, and when the dog moves, they move. And when the dog stops, they stop. And when the dog kind of nudges them over, they avoid danger. But the dog doesn't have the plan, and that's kind of a weak analogy for who God is because God has the vision, he has the sight, he has the plan. And so God brings us in next to him, and when he moves, we move. Maybe it's from the tabernacle to the sanctuary. Maybe it's from one workplace to another. Maybe it's from one city to another. When he stops, we stop. When he nudges us over, he's protecting us from something. God has the sight. God has the vision. God has the plan. And so our application to this truth is just this. You don't need to know the plan. All you need to know is to be known by the man who has the plan. Now you notice in the passage, God doesn't really give them the plan, does he? He doesn't say exactly how everything's going to go, but what he gives them is the result of the plan that he has for them should they stick with him. Verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Verse 12, then he tells us the purpose of the plans. And the purpose of the plans is that he will work things out in such a way that, that we will then call upon him and pray to him and he will hear us. The, the purpose of his plans is to draw us in closer and closer. Verse 13, he says the, the purpose of the plan is so that we will seek him and we will find him. Verse 14, when we seek him with all our heart, he will be found by us. And so that's good news number one. God has a plan for you, and you don't need to know the plan. All you need to know is that you're known by the man who has the plan. And he will enact it for you because if you are in Christ, you are known by God. Good news number two, God's plan for you includes a future. And we could even add, and a hope, a future and a hope. Again, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. All right, so his plans are for you are for good. His plans for you are for welfare and not calamity. And, and it involves a future. God has tomorrow planned for you. He has your next week planned. He has your next year planned. No matter what it brings, God has it planned for you. And what's more is it's full of hope. Right now, we have to be careful here because hope can be a tricky word, can't it? It means two things in, in the Bible. There's a human hope, and then there's a biblical hope, okay? Human hope, I call that padre hope. All right, maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about, huh? That's like, this, this is the year, right? Again, and it doesn't matter how many high, big, huge contracts we bring in. Soto's going to weigh more than his batting average, and Machado's going to fall asleep at third, and we'll be seven games out of the wild card, and, and we hope we can even make the playoffs, right? That's human hope, Padre hope. That's not what God's talking about. He doesn't say, I have a plan for you and a future for you, kind of like the Padres. That's not what he's saying in the passage. No, he's saying he has a biblical hope for you. And the biblical hope is not just a desire for something good, like in the case of the Padres. No, it's a, a confident expectation that what God will do is good for us. 
We see this in Romans 4 where Paul says, speaking of Abraham, after he received the promise from God, it says, Abraham in hope believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told by God. What's going on there? How can you in hope believe against hope? They're speaking about the two types of hope there. In hope, in the biblical sense, because God had said that this would happen, Abraham was able to believe God in hope against Padre Hope that said, I'm way too old, this would never happen. Do you see the difference there? God says, I have your tomorrow covered. He says, you can have a confident expectation in what he's going to do for you. You can have a biblical hope no matter how hopeless you feel in the moment, humanly, earthly, fleshly. You can look around in the dark place and you can stop being hopeless and instead look at the plan God has for you, which includes a future and a biblical hope. You say, well, that's great. So what do I do? I just, I just kind of sit here, hopeful, hope that God does something. That's not what he says. Application two says this, because God has a future for you, you can live life right where he has put you today. I think sometimes we miss this. Because God has a future for you with a God-given biblical hope, you can live life right here where he's put you today. Look at verses 5 and on. Verse 5, he says, while you're waiting, while you're waiting for the plan I have for you and the future hope to be unfolded, here's what you should do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. What's he saying? Get a job. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Like, man, sometimes I wish God would just say that. Get a job. Get to work. Be productive. Maximize the time and the potential that he's given you right where he's put you. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. What's he saying? Be productive. Be fruitful. Multiply. Make grandbabies for people is what he's saying, isn't he? I try to tell my kids, part of the deal is they have to provide grandchildren someday. And, and that's just not my wishes. That's biblical. <laughs> like I have two, two wonderful girls. I have two boys that have given me a lot of gray whiskers and hairs, and, and I keep reminding them, part of your job is to make me grandchildren and make this worth it, uh, <laughs> especially with the young boys. Uh, you make some little Giles babies so I can spoil them and fill them up with espresso and give them back to you. Um, that's a command from God right where you're at. Get a job. Have a family. Provide for your family. Have children. Have your children have children. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. He says, look around this dark place called Babylon and make it better. Cause it to flourish. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. He's not talking about government welfare. He's talking about flourishing as a people. Make Babylon better. Make better homes, better schools, interact with the community, serve, 
laugh, go to local coffee shops, flourish where God has put you. He says that to be a Christian, your blessing is to go into society and bless others. To be a Christian, you are blessed in that you get to go into society and pray for the dark place God has put you in. Because God has a future for you, you can live life right where he has put you today and be a blessing right here. And that's a biblical thing. Good news number three, and this is our our final and really our key point here. You see, biblically, I don't know what God has in store for you on this earth. I would be a preacher of darkness if I told you your week's going to go perfect. I don't know. It might be tough. It might be great. What I do know is that spiritually, God has a plan for you, and he's going to take care of everything in this person and work of Jesus Christ. How did this work out for Israel? Did they return to Jerusalem? Yes, but it wasn't the same. Was the throne of King David restored? Kind of. Puppet kings, puppet governors. But did God redeem them spiritually? Yes, he did that. Amen. And so much more. We could honk the horn to that one, couldn't we, brother? All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. He has plans for you, plans for a future and a hope, and all of that is bundled up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that is a solid, secure hope for your future. Everything God promises Israel here ultimately finds its yes in Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus comes as a king in the line of David, a greater king than David or Israel or any Babylonian king ever saw. Jesus pays the price for the sins of Israel's dark past. Jesus ushers in a new and greater kingdom under a new and greater covenant. Sorry, Jesus grafts us, Babylonian Gentiles, into the nation of Israel, makes us one people, not just of one nation, but of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and builds the greater temple with all of you as the living stones of this new and greater temple. Jesus is the one who will usher us into the world to come, the new heavens and the new earth. All of God's promises for you find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, God's plan for you is full of a future, eternal future, and a hope, the greatest biblical hope that there is. Friends, application number three is this. Jesus is not done with you yet. On the cross, Jesus rescues and redeems us from our dark past. By his spirit, he sees us through the darkest of days and the darkest of places. Through his word, he comforts us. He tells us, no matter where you are or what's going on, I'm right here with you. He says things like Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on completion until the return of Christ Jesus. Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Friends, if you serve Jesus Christ, you are called according to God's purposes. 
And even though you might have a dark past, you might be in the middle of dark times, and you might feel like everything has gone off the rails, friends, God has a plan for you. Jesus is not done with you yet. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And you find all of it in Jesus Christ. God has a plan for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that despite our past, despite our present challenges, despite what sometimes looks like a a dark future, we thank you that despite those things, you give us your word, that that Christ comes to us, that he came to us 2,000 years ago, that by his spirit he comes to us today, and that in the future he will come to us and usher us into the future and the hope that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that no matter how bad our bodies feel, no matter how hard our jobs are, no matter how broken our relationships are, we know that you are making all things new, that you are making us a new creation, that you will raise us from the dead and restore us with with new and perfect bodies, that you will mend the broken relationships around us, that your church will triumph and prevail, though the gates of hell push back so hard against it. I pray for each and every one of us here that you would, as we go into the places you've called us to this week, that you would help us to look around, not to see darkness, but to see a city that needs prayer. To see news headlines that need to be prayed over. To see people who need to be reached out to. Disciples that need to be made. People who need to have a hopeful future. People who need to meet Jesus. People who need to know that everything's going to be okay. That you're the God who has a plan. And that you will see it through. We thank you for the confidence we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.